Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and I'm not entirely certain that my life isn't a psychotic delusion, but at least I'm still pretty. We're here today to talk about Normal Again, the 17th episode of season six. It aired on March 12, 2002, and we have two newbies in key positions, as this episode was written by Diego Gutierrez, his first television script ever, and his only Buffy the Vampire Slayer script. Once again, Rebecca Rand Kirshner and Stephen S. DeKnight serve as story editors. Our other newbie is director Rick Rosenthal. This is Rosenthal's first episode of Buffy, and he'll be back for only one more season seven's help. I find it interesting that as we return to form for Buffy with Normal again, we're in the creative hands of two people who aren't part of the standard Buffy bench. Maybe it's the outside perspective that makes this episode work. Maybe it's just that we've stopped treading water and are starting to get serious about the geek trio again. I don't know, and I don't care. I'm just glad we're moving forward. by chance happened to just eat a couple nerds, did you? As y'all know, I'm a big fan of the Bizarro World episodes. The Zeppo, The Wish, Doppelgangland, all favorites of mine, usually because they give us a new perspective on the world, but also because, typically, they're pretty funny, and I am endlessly charmed by a good joke. Normal Again isn't funny, but it does give us a canted reality, and unlike our other Bizarro World episodes in which everything is set right at the end, there's a space at the end of this episode where the audience can question which reality is actual reality. Is Buffy really in an institution, or is Sunnydale the real thing? Is everything in Sunnydale just a delusion in Buffy's head? It would explain the inconsistencies of Sunnydale. Sometimes it's a one Starbucks town, sometimes it's an international port of call. It gives us some interesting questions to ponder, and that's one of the great benefits of the Bizarro World concept. All right, let's get into the weeds. So what's more real? A sick girl in an institution. Don't, please listen to me. kind of supergirl chosen to fight demons and save the world. That's ridiculous. It's been almost a whole season that we've been watching Buffy struggle with her return from death, trying to find her place in a world she released once before. While a lot of that struggle hasn't been fun to watch, at times it's been a rich place to explore, and Normal Again brings us to that exploration by giving Buffy a choice between worlds, something she hasn't really had up until now. Bringing back Joyce and Hank, making Hank not a deadbeat, showing Buffy a life that makes more rational sense but isn't emotionally true, it's the classic divide between what we think rationally and what we feel and know emotionally. Buffy didn't choose to come back, she chose to die, and it was the last real choice she's made. Since she came back, she's been riding along, doing things she doesn't really want to do, working at Double Meat Palace, sleeping with Spike, even being the Slayer. And now we're seeing her with options for the first time since she's returned. We only learn who a character really is when we see them make active choices. This is why, for the writers out there, passive characters are a problem. They're not making choices. Or rather, the choice they make is not to choose, and that shows us only what a character doesn't want. And that's too vague. For the first time since being brought back by her friends, Buffy has a choice to make, and for a while, it seems like she's made it. 
Watching her take down her friends one by one, and especially her attack on Dawn, is harrowing. And through it all, Buffy remains detached and cloudy, even when she's dragging her loved ones into the basement. It isn't until Joyce tells her what she needs to hear that we really see her truly wake up. I know you're afraid. I know the world feels like a hard place sometimes, but you've got people who love you. Your dad and I, we have all the faith in the world in you. We'll always be with you. You've got a world of strength in your heart. I know you do. You just have to find it again. Believe in yourself. Then, finally, at the end, Buffy stands up and her face clears. She finally knows once again who she is and what she wants. In that moment, she takes down the demon and saves her friends, chooses the antidote. At that point, with the goodbye to Joyce, we expect that her delusions are over, but then we get this one final scene in which Buffy doesn't even seem to be there. A moment where we seem to be seeing the world from Joyce and Hank's POV, which would indicate that Buffy's institutional delusions are actual reality, and Sunnydale is just a place she made up in her head. It is possible to see all of Buffy through this lens, and as we cut to black on that shot that we pull away from what could arguably be actual reality, there's a starkness that we're left to meditate on. What is actually real? We even get the moment in the middle of the episode with Willow, where we somewhat retcon Joyce's understanding of Buffy as the Slayer. Buffy tells the story about Joyce and Hank putting her into an institution when she first started seeing vampires. She told them she was the Slayer, and they responded by putting her in an institution. This would be the point of divergence. In the Sunnydale reality, Buffy pretended to get better, left the institution, Joyce and Hank broke up, and Joyce moved them to Sunnydale. But in Sunnydale, years later, when Buffy finally tells Joyce that she's a vampire slayer, Joyce has no idea what she's talking about, and that doesn't make sense. How can the very delusion that led Joyce to institutionalize her daughter be something she could later forget? If Sunnydale is real, Joyce would have thought Buffy was delusional again. But if Sunnydale wasn't real, Buffy's version of Joyce might just forget the institution. In the institution reality, we even explain Buffy's death, her time in heaven where she was loved and cared for, as an awakening. That kind of makes rational sense as well. So, at the end of this episode, are we really sure that Sunnydale isn't just Buffy's delusion? We're not, and it's kind of unsettling. I come down on the side that Sunnydale is actual reality, though. In the end, vampires and demons are more believable than Hank Summers not being a total douchebag. You're not drawn to the dark like I thought. You're addicted to the misery. That's why you won't tell your pals about it. Might actually have to be happy if you did. They'd either understand and help you, God forbid, or drive you out, or you could finally be at peace in the dark with me. In this episode, Spike's hurt at Buffy's rejection is palpable, and he's struggling to find his place in Buffy's reality. He's still part of the team, helping out when they need someone strong to overpower the Glargical Gashmanik. But what he really wants is for the truth to come out, for Buffy to tell everyone about their relationship, believing that her refusal to be happy with him is what broke them up. So we see that Buffy's not the only one suffering under a delusion in this episode. His desperation is humming on a low frequency, but it's there. 
and a desperate spike can only become a very dangerous spike. For now, though, he still sees himself as the emissary of truth, but his truth and actual truth are starting to diverge. He no longer has the benefit of seeing reality as it is, and now, instead, he's seeing it as he wants it, finding explanations for Buffy's rejection of him that touch on every possibility except the real one, that she doesn't love him, that she doesn't want him, that he's not good for her. He's fighting for her to embrace the darkness, but as we see in the final moments in the basement where she saves her friends, she is walking slowly and with determination toward the light. And on some level, he knows that light will take her away from him because it's the one place, both literally and metaphorically, that he can never go. Got yummy antidote goodness for you. What happened? It took a little longer than I'd hoped. No magic and all. Went boom twice, but then I got it. Just when it's cool, drink it all down and everything should go back to normal. You never stop coming through. We are getting some excellent Willow in this episode. She's strong, she's capable. She's able to do amazing things with chemistry rather than with magic. It's interesting to see that Willow's power doesn't come from the magic. It never came from the magic. Her power is in her strength and tenacity, her ability to always be Willow. We open with a bit of potential false conflict for Willow when she arranges an accidental meeting with Tara after class and sees Tara talking with another woman. Willow presumes that Tara is having a relationship with that woman and she runs off. False conflict is any conflict that presents when one person makes a presumption and instead of simply asking the question, hey, who's that girl? Are you maybe in love with her? The character just walks away and stews. Any conflict that can be easily resolved if people just talk to each other is false conflict. We actually play it pretty well here though. Instead of creating tension between Willow and Tara, Willow goes home and tells Buffy that she knows she might be wrong, but she's just scared. Because this conflict becomes internal, because Willow isn't mad at Tara, it actually works to speak to Willow's incredible vulnerability when it comes to the relationship with Tara. And it speaks to Willow's self-knowledge and her connection with actual reality. She knows she's afraid and she knows she's making up a story. So even in weakness, we see strength from Willow and what could have been a bad external conflict beat turns into a nice character beat for her. Throughout this episode, Willow is strong and capable, her power undiminished by her refusal to use magic. She's the one who comes through with the miracle cure. She's the one who can fix what's wrong. We also get some fantastic Tara here. Finally, finally, Tara is the one person who hasn't been damseled in the climax. Instead, she saves the day. She comes in, goes into the basement, uses magic to release everyone from their bonds, and the gang fights back against the demon trying to kill them. It's a quick moment and one that is easy to forget or miss, but Tara taking action and saving the day is one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy. I wish we had more of these, but I'll take what I can get. I don't know how stuff got so mixed up. I blew it. No. Oh, maybe it wasn't the best time to break up with her, but... No, it wasn't about breaking up. I love her and God, I miss her so much. So you left her at the altar, but you still want to... You still want to date? Xander's return after the events of Hell's Bells is a minor note in this story, but a good one. The idea that he still wants to date Anya after leaving her at the altar shows him jumping into the delusional pool along with Spike and Buffy. Come on in, Xander. The water's not fine, but we're going to pretend that it is. 
Outside of that, what we see from Xander in this episode is mostly comic relief. He's the goofy guy who can't say Glargical Gashmanik. He gets knocked down by the demon, he makes with the Xander quips and the pratfalls, and God help me, even in this sad, tragic struggle for Buffy when she suddenly hits him in the face with a frying pan? I'll admit it. I laughed. I mean, Xander kind of has that coming. Maybe not in this context, but he has it coming. <laughs> I'm not even there, am I? What? I said it a second ago. You don't have a sister. It's your ideal reality, and I'm not even a part of it. We get some good Dawn in this episode and some pissy Dawn, but overall, I think her hurt that she's not included in Buffy's alternate reality is a good note even if I wish we'd seen it expressed in a different way from her standard passive-aggressive snideness. Aside from the one bad moment where she's packing up to go over to Janice's, we mostly are getting our newly evolved Dawn, and I like her. There is a bit of strangeness here, though. When Buffy and Dawn are talking in her room, Buffy talks about how they have to try harder, how they have to deal with Dawn's faltering grades and her stealing and making Willow do her chores. Look, I know there's a rule of three in these things. We have grades and stealing, which are important and which we've already seen being a problem, but slacking on chores? That's the next thing we're going to? Not the pissy passive-aggressive bullshit? Still, when Buffy goes for Dawn and things get serious, the heartbreak of seeing Buffy trying to hurt Dawn is devastating. Dawn starts by making a case for their reality, but then when Buffy gets a hold of her and she's really scared, she promises she'll be good, as though Buffy is coming after her in punishment rather than delusion. It comes and goes in a flash, and it might not even be intentional, because it's not a thread we really play with, but it speaks to Dawn's essential concerns about her own worth, and that's a crunchy space for her. Buffy, you used to create these grand villains to battle against, and now what is it? Just ordinary students you went to high school with. No gods or monsters. Just three pathetic little men who like playing with toys. After a few episodes of Hiding Underground, we see our geek trio, big, kinda bad, returning in what essentially comes down to a cameo appearance. Andrew summons the Glargical Gashmanik that creates the delusions for Buffy, and we visit with them momentarily to see that Jonathan is finding himself even more on the outs with the other guys. But aside from setting off the chaos, they're not really a presence in this episode. This is episode 18, and we're bearing down on the final movements of the Geek Trio's reign of whatever through Sunnydale. But as arch-nemesis disease, they're kind of weak. The demon releases a chaos that may or may not have been the intent. We don't know what Andrew's plan is with this thing. Does he know that the demon will set off this particular delusion with Buffy? Was that the plan? And if so, how was that supposed to help? Just keep her distracted? And when you summon a demon on your lawn, how do you control for it not coming in and stabbing you with its little bone spur of hallucination? At this point, I want the geek trio to be more dangerous, more wily, more desperate. I want to feel them as a real threat, and I haven't, not since dead things. They seem actually less dangerous now than they were then, and while I don't think it hurts this particular episode, it's not a strong move for the overall season arc. We lose our big picture vision a bit in this episode, but at least they're back in making some trouble. I kind of missed them. She's having the wiggins, is she? 
None of us are real. Bloody self-centered, if you ask me. Normal Again is an atypical Bizarro World episode. It's emotionally complicated and not played for laughs at all, but it sets us forward on our path toward the end of the season. Buffy's choice in this episode, an evolution which she started when she broke up with Spike and moved literally and metaphorically toward the light, puts her and this season arc on more certain footing than either have had for a while. It's wonderful to see Christine Sutherland and Sarah Michelle Gellar together again, and I love that Buffy is getting a stronger sense of herself. That'll do it for today. We'll be back next time with Season 6, Episode 18, Entropy. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.